It's the Stuart Lucy Podcast, here we go, with stories of teachers that are inspirational, I'm learning everything I know and learning all over again. So, this is Stuart Lucy speaking on the first of a series of podcasts. Um, I'm very excited to introduce to today my very first guest and the very first person that's going to help me podcast. Mark Glauber has been a mentor of mine ever since I started teaching. Oh, he has been the head of drama um, at an eastern suburbs school where I teach at in Melbourne. Uh, and he's a very interesting character. Um, so I'll let Mark Lorber sort of talk about his story about how he came to be a teacher and what he did before teaching and uh, his attitude to, to school before and after his his teaching. So welcome, Mark. Um, I suppose I better ask the first question. Could you just sort of explain your journey, whichever way you think is relevant, um, into being a teacher um, at, at a school in Melbourne? That. There's a fair bit to talk about there. I'm going to start with the honest answer. You've probably heard those that can't do teach. I think there's a bit of truth to that. And I don't think it's perhaps as as, uh, as sort of as negative as what we initially think that it is. I don't think you should come to teaching until you're ready to do it. And I definitely wasn't ready to do it from the outgate. I remember a mentor of mine, Simon Laplastria, who a, was a deputy head of Trinity Grammar School, for a few years, I remember him telling to me when I was when I was in year eleven. He said you'd make a very good teacher, and teaching at that time was the furthest idea from my mind. Um, I didn't have great relationships with all my teachers. I felt a little bit disconnected from the school that I was in at the time, and I I suppose I had more of a combative relationship to teachers and 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 sort of education in general. So I definitely wasn't ready for education then. Um, and I think I, I genuinely did go out into the world and try and, but you know, and I'm in my area of teaching is drama and history. And I think that I did try and get good at it before I taught it. And I was in, you know, university theatre and I had to go at a few auditions and, uh, you know, the world isn't a, isn't a safe place as much as a school is more of a sort of a closed environment. And I took some risks and got a few hits, as many actors will tell you. And then when I realized that uh, the whole acting industry was a lot harder than I thought it would be, um, and that I, I always knew that I, that, I, that I wanted to be involved in the arts as well. I think the ne- literally the next part... You say always, like from, from when you're in school or after school? Since I was three years old, I used to put on performances for my friends and family at Christmas time. Hmm. And I'd do the greatest hits of, you know, a lot of the albums and I'd use props, guitars, and I'd just, you know, sing into hairbrushes. Um, and I've, I think I've just always wanted to act and tell stories and, and embarrassingly make myself the centre of attention. I think it was more about storytelling, though, in the end. I think it took a while to actually work out what I liked about it, which is, I suppose, why I ended up in teaching, because I still get to be around storytelling. Hmm. Um, and it's that part of the arts that I actually really enjoy the most, more than the attention. I actually thought that you know there, there's a there's a lot of um, negative aspects to wanting to be the center of attention as well. So I, th- I I think I get to be the best of both worlds. I get to be to tell stories, and when I direct, I get to act as well. That's that's how I direct. So I you know rather than 
talking about what I would do, I get I get to show it. Mm. And I think that's part of my process. So I still get to be that four-year-old kid who gets to dress up every day, tell stories, and I can get that out of my system so that when I leave the school, I'm a, I'm a reasonably balanced person and not a madman. <laughs> I think that's important. Um, it, it, interestingly, from what I know and what stories I like, to hear from you when we're, we're chatting at school um, for, for anyone trying to picture what Mark Lobel looks like he's six foot four built quite strong um, goes to the gym yeah. a lot um, yeah keep going like <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's a very different picture from you know um, every time I, I know I tell someone I'm a drama teacher they, they jump to the Chris Lilly's um, Mr. G character from um, the is it Heartbreak High uh, not Heartbreak High um, Summer Heights High Summer Heights High um, and, you know, the, the very flamboyant, um, often effeminate um, sort of person. So talk about that a little bit and then how that has helped or hindered your drama teaching career. Yeah, look, I, th- I think that's such good satire. I think a lot of it's true. I think I definitely am that person and it's important that I recognize that and, and laugh at myself. But You are the Chris Lilly character. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the time. Um, with the, all the same sort of, uh, you know, weaknesses and and wanting to have attention and i think a lot of those cliches are true but at the same time it's all it's it's almost well you should be able to be that and then everything else if you really want to act if you really want to pretend to be other people which is that that's really all we're doing then you better know how to be an aussie larrikin as well as a you know an effeminate drama teacher or you're not you're not really dreaming big enough you're not you're not getting outside of your stereotypes so yeah of course the stereotypes are true but then if you really want to be a good actor, you've got to know how to be a big blokey alpha male as well. And I think that's largely why a lot of people don't like drama classes or they don't like going to shows because no one can act that outside of their own experience. So that's half the fun. We're pretending to be other people. Well, let's be good at it. Hmm. So I think people that really do like to tell stories and get it right, you know, to a fault, they're good observers and they're chameleons. And they adapt to their crowd. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of communities at school. I try and have them on purpose. Now, that's not to just because I'm a psycho and I want to make my shows good. <laughs> that's just because it's part of, I suppose, who I am. So I'll, I like hanging around with the older males, staff males. I like hanging around with the young girls talking about fashion. I do like that. I'm not ashamed <laughs> to say that. Or some of the, you know, the young men that are... The, you know, they're just a bit more laddie and have a bit more fun, take a bit more of a joke themselves, or, or like, you know, 40-year-olds. I, I really like hanging around old people as well because they've, they've worked a lot of it out. They're much more comfortable with themselves. And when I'm feeling like I don't really feel like any sort of rough play, I just want to hang around with an old person and talk about gardening. I love that. So that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> Doing about your shows a lot um, and your, your shows are been working with your senior work since 2010 um is that is that something that you really work for is is the shows or is there other parts of your job that you like sort of talk about what what really gets you going what gets you motivated to get get to work in the morning yeah i think all the good and bad parts of my personality the showman the show off the arrogant person the perfectionist the little boy that wants someone to like them they all come together in in the big shows that i do but if you really want them to be good 
And you got to make sure your bread and butter is good, which means you need to have good relationships with the kids, which needs to be, you better be doing a good job in the classroom. You need to need, need to be turning up on time. If you don't do that, it affects the show. So I just, you know, I, I take any of that sort of perfectionism or that want to tell a good show, I take that right back to what am I doing, you know, right here and right now. I also sort of want to have a nice life. So I um, want to have good relationships with the people that I work with. I don't know, when you, when you go to a school or when you're in a workplace, it's not the building that's important or the what position that you do. It's like, can you get along with people? And that's whether I'm in a classroom with year sevens, year nines, or in the staff room. It's about sort of being productive and having a good time and trying to live a group better than what you found it. But around the shows, it's it's more than just, you know, being pleasant and being respectful and productive. It's about, wow, this is this engages every performance, um, I suppose, desire that I have to tell stories and, I, and I'm a... a Sometimes I think too much. I can intellectualize things. So, so having a play that's meaty enough with themes that will explore something about our society, that just gives me a whole nother window in onto the world, like through the arts, through a great piece of literature to reflect about my place within the world and why human beings interact in the way that they do and how that small piece of art fits in with the big picture, which is our, our existence, our lives. Why the hell are we here? All those questions like that. You think about why the hell we're here a lot. I, I, I'm like a rare person that if someone starts talking about life or religion or politics at a party, I lean forward and go, "Oh yeah, what do you think?" And other people go, "No, <laughs> let's just go and dance. <laughs> let's not talk about that." Uh, sometimes that's all a fault, and I, get, I can ruin a night because I just get into an argument. <laughs> but I, I like both. I like the balance. I like being able to do it because mm. I do. I, I have a thirst for complexity i have a questioning mind where, where do you go to find out the stuff what, what do you do to stimulate that aspect well the, the information that i like to consume is information that's delivered by a good storyteller or in some sort of media that's entertaining as well so i i, I love podcasting i like long form media like this i think you know i think you get to hang around with people that you like cool people even if you can't um so i I get to hang around with my heroes every day while I'm driving and they talk about what they're interested in and you get access to professionals, um, to experts, you know, people with PhDs, people that are, know a hell of a lot about an area I know nothing about and I get, to, I get to learn and engage with their ideas for a little bit and it's, it's alive, it's not boring. So I, I, you know, now these days I'm interested in video and, and audio probably more than books to be honest mm, like audio books or books or audio books because you're engaging not only with passive material but a storyteller that can bring that alive so you know even the audio books that i like it matters who the presenter is it matters i like listening to books about physics so if the actor who's reading the audio books knows nothing about physics i can tell i can tell that he's just trying to get by i can tell that he doesn't understand the content so you need to get an actor that's interested in, in the science as mm. well as the delivery. And then I'm, I'm all for it. I could listen to it all day. So what you're saying is, is you, you just, your thirst for knowledge is a general thing only because, or, or because it goes back to your performance as an actor yourself? Or is it mutually exclusive? Do you, do you find this information out so that you can bring it to your line of work? 
or do you think it just is one of those unintended consequences that benefits your line of work that you go off and seek all this knowledge such as physics? I, I think I'm just a very curious person. So I, I like to know things. I like to know how things work. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of spatial intelligence. So I like to find out how things work. So that's why I like physics and that's why I like building. But then I also like ideas. So that's why I, why I like the arts. I like the, the metaphors, the analogies, the symbolism. I just rather know than not know. I've always been like that. Um, and I'd rather be an idiot for a day asking a whole bunch of questions and a, like a fool forever, as they say. So, yeah. And if and and it, I also want it to be interesting as well. So it's that's why I like those, those artistic forms of giving knowledge in an interesting way. So I suppose it's two loves that I have. One is knowledge, knowing stuff, and the other one is uh, you know being entertained because I get bored easily. I'm pretty impulsive. It's hard to hold my interest, so, and and now I can choose. I live in this amazing day and age where you can choose what what media that you like. So there's no excuse really for not knowing anything. When you when you drove to work this morning, so you, you commute a long way. How long do you stay in the car in the morning and at night? Oh, upwards to three hours a day. Three hours a day. Yeah, that's quite a lot of time to, to yeah. sit and listen and, and think. What are you listening to at the moment? At the at the moment, I'm listening to a, a comedian, <laughs> to a couple of comedians actually, bang on about stuff that they're not really experts in, but because they're so funny, it holds my interest. Who who are they? Ari Shafar, who's a stand-up comedian in America, and I've forgotten the name of the other guy. I should know his name, but I, and I listen to people like you know Joe Rogan. I was listening to philosophers like Sam Harris, um, who you know uh, weighs heavily in on onto, I suppose philosophy, and also um, he's an anthropologist. He's also a neurosurgeon as well, so he understands how the brain works, and he's able to apply all that knowledge to to human behaviour and psychology. Do you ever do you ever relate this back to your lessons? Like, do you ever you know, find yourself in a lesson, or or in in some form of teaching? and then directly relate it back to the stuff that you're listening to at the moment? Yeah, well, you and I, mate, so you know that I do that all the time with you. As in, like, when you're teaching me? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's it. Occupational hazard of teachers, we tend to teach anyone we're around. Yeah. I, the, the reason why I'd, I'd say that is because uh, I'm listening, I, I don't do as many podcasts as you, I don't listen, but I listen a lot to audiobooks. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm listening to sort of motivational things that, you know, I, I'm at the point now in my career where how can I be better? Yeah. You know, I told you earlier on, I used, to, I used to just probably get to the point of despising most of my teachers because I could see they were hypocrites. I could see that they weren't learning the stuff they were teaching me. Yeah. The kids pick up on that. They do, don't they? They totally pick up on it. So if you're not in, in actively engaged and if you're not a student of your area... And no one's going to, going to listen to you. Mm. But if you're willing to, to learn, learn from the kids mm. and, and learn from wherever you get your knowledge from and, and then you're in awe of what you're learning, they can, they're humbled by, I think, your awe so that you don't become a, a professional, an expert. Just like I, 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 uh, I learned this cool thing today and I want to look at it more. And what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. And let's explore it together. And then it's current. Because often, often everything that I'm looking at is a, is a global discussion. So often like the comedians or the, the scientists or the politicians that I listen to, they're talking about a global dynamic community. So maybe Trump said something or there's something going on in Syria or whatever it might be, climate change right here, right now. And then they'll make a joke about it or they're like, well, this reminds me of this 
lesson in history that we still haven't learned that was, you know, from the 1800s. And then I'm like, oh, that's really current right here, right now. And I might share that with my kids. Hmm. And they know it's alive because a lot of them listen to the radio with their parents on the hmm. way in. So I think we're, we're blessed to have quite a smart bunch of students in terms oh, of the yeah. demographic that we teach. It's, um, no, that's right. There's some bright kids that very are, bright many kids. of them are smarter than us. Yeah, and I used to just think, oh, there's me being humble saying that, but it's not. It's no, they're, like they're, they're quite smart. They have a they have a disposition for, you know, especially some some thought processes which I can't keep up with, mm. and I'm pretty aware that some of mine are slowing down anyway. Yeah, but I mean that that goes back to what they say is that you know when whenever there's a teacher, you, you also need to be the student. And I think. Um, yeah, well, it's that that's what that's what applying wisdom is, isn't it? Yeah. We don't have to know everything. But we, for one, our, our brains are grown, so we're, at least we're able to use that to make conscious decisions and reflect on what we say. Mm. Whereas until you're 25, it's it's hard to do that to reflect on your own learning, even your own behaviour. Mm. So mm. I'm I'm glad I'm sort of through that part of my life, and I can actually use my brain to its full capacity to, <laughs> to make conscious choices because I did it for a long time. Yeah, it was the exciting way to live, but it was it was rough because like, how the hell did I end up here? Yeah. Maybe I wasn't making conscious choices. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's how how they've got to have young minds are like sponges. I don't care about having to know everything. Do you, if you could reverse yourself back twenty years, uh, would you take a similar path, or would you would you change something? Yeah, oh, that's a trick question. I think that's a, that's an interesting question. Isn't it? <laughs> It's. A, I love. Um, it's. A, it's almost like an improv activity to me in some ways. So the create creativity of what would you do? Um, yeah, I could play that game forever and and, yeah. and be a thousand do do a thousand different versions of myself. But I'm I'm stuck here right now, having to deal with all the consequences, and I'm sort of making the most of it. And so it's, it's, the reason it's a trick question. It's a dangerous game because if you if you do that, you you don't tend to just deal with what you've got right here right now and have a and and have a foster an awesome relationship with your your life right here why am i here right now mm. and thank god for that and um how can we make the most of it and have fun i mean shoulda coulda woulda so where do they get you yeah no i like that i think we do i do um leadership facilitation at the school as well and we always talk about what next so um i suppose that is going back to the what what do you know now you know, if you could reverse time, it's like, well, don't reverse time. Just learn from what you've done in the in the previous time and make sure that you're um, influencing the future. So, you know, what next? Make sure that you, you don't make the same mistake twice or keep going um, to, to influence the stuff that you can influence rather than dwell on the stuff you can't. Yeah, such a great question. And I think when I listen to that question and how people try and attempt it, because it's always asked, I'm listening for... Who, who makes a positive out of it mm. and who shifts towards the negative. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're an adult and you're around, especially like in our job, with you can influence young people, then you just got to, even if you feel cynical, you just got to suck it up because what are you, is that, is that the gift that you're going to leave to the next generation? It's like, guys, looking ahead, it really sucks for you. <laughs> I can tell you it sucks here. Like what a way to just ruin the planet, you know, to not give them any hope. It's like, a, it's, it's an obligation to do that. It's like, that's why I love history because you've got an obligation to tell the truth. There's just certain things you can't allow. Mm. And in teaching one of those is pessimism and cynicism. It kills you. 
It kills the kids. If they see it in you, they attack it. Don't do it. <laughs> if you can't be positive, go and, you know, and that's why I have plan, numbers in office, I have plan Bs, not for me, but for the kids. Because mm. if, I, if I can't control my cynicism or my pessimism, I'll just leave. I wouldn't do it to them. Mm. I don't really even really care about myself. I could be grumpy for a couple of years. I could handle that. But think about all the young people that I would ruin doing it. Mm. And, I, and I was ruined a bit too by standing in front of those teachers getting a paycheck mm. that didn't just was like, well, I can't do anything else. This is all I got. I get a comfortable wage and I can just keep banging on about this textbook and never have to learn anything new. So I can't allow myself to do that. I'll just leave. I'm a pretty good <laughs> landscape gardener and I could, I'm a concrete or I've worked in a, you know, cafes and stuff. I can make pretty good coffee. <laughs> Okay. I can make good coffee. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> I really try it. I'm not, not the best, but I'm not bad. Yeah. You can make a silk bomb. <laughs> so I'll go and do that. Um, sort of going on that, you're talking about, you know, always learning and, and you know, keeping keeping a drive to get better. With, with your pref- professional development and things, is there anything you particularly um, like doing? Do you do anything regularly or do you try and do new things? Uh, you talked about the audiobooks and podcasts and things. That That's part of professional learning. Do you do anything else that's more sort of um, structured professional learning that's recognized by the school? Yeah, look, I, have a, I have a couple of like rules that I try not to break in, in my life that if, if there's going to be something that benefits me or any of the people that, that learn from me, but I can't really say no unless I've got a good reason. So an, an example of that is the other day I walked past your class and you were doing a great class on introducing Indigenous oh, theatre. Thanks. And everyone was engaged and you said, oh, can you, would you mind showing us your, you know, your example of your, your Indigenous theatre? So just put context in that. You, you've written a unit of work that I'm working on at the moment with Year 7s and I'm using your unit of work and teaching. I'm, I'm quite passionate about it. Um and I know that I've seen your demonstrations before and feel that it does it justice more if you, if you do it and you've, you've worked um, with Indigenous Australians on developing that unit where I have not. So that the reason why I was asking is because you do have that expertise um, that, that I didn't have and, and you do a particularly good job of it and, and an explanation of the background behind it. Yeah, and, I, and, I, then, and the reason that I, I can't say no to it is because I know it will be good for... I think teachers are always better if they, they, they have a go at whatever their area of expertise is. So if, if we're teaching people how to act and tell stories with their bodies, we better be able to jump in and do it. Because mm. I've seen drama teachers that used to do it and then they checked out and they become the expert and they do it for 10 years. And, and they'll find ev- they start coming out with excuses to not get up the front and, and try things. I think and they, they start doubting themselves as well. Yeah, and it's not—it's it's the furthest thing from their mind to ever do it. They're very comfortable telling other people, "Oh, this is how you should do it. This or that, mm. and blah blah blah," but they won't try it themselves. And I think you—you you lose that knowledge, that insight of the actor, of like how hard it is to grab for something that's not there, mm. or to try and control your, your your fear and you know avoiding all these cliches. Like here's a here's a white man doing indigenous theatre um, in front of like a mainly white privileged kids. Mm. Um, um, with all the cliches of the drama teacher. He's becoming a bird and he's squawking and wearing a mask and there's drums. And so, um, and yet I still think it's worth doing because you're, it's, it's someone having the courage to engage with their imagination and explore a metaphor that means something to them. You know that the story was about my grandmother and 
I'm um, descendants from you know people that have immigrated to you know one of the world wars and she's got this crazy a crazy legacy she's had an amazing impact on, on my life and I'm amazingly grateful and I thought well she, she's 94 she's got a bit of dementia but she if she knew that I was honoring her in that sort of way of course that she would love it so it's my way of sort of respecting her and why not tell tell a story like that well, I, th- I think that's exactly why I really love this particular unit of work um, that the to, to sort of fill you guys in um, the the unit of work um, surrounds um, an indigenous dreamtime story in that theme and the, the students will have to choose a family member or someone very close to them that's influenced their life greatly um, and for the better and they use a totem animal that, that symbolizes that family member and then they, they merge the two and, and create an, a poem in an indigenous style. Uh, that go along with movements and at the end of the unit of work they they come together as as the tribal community and and they each perform their their poem with movements to the rest of the class and it is a very touching very personal thing and to be able to say it out loud we often get emotional you know students sort of tearing up um, a lot of stage fright more than any other production and that's come from nerves that really mean something for the for the students in our case boys we teach at a, a single sex school um, and, it, and it really lets them be vulnerable in front of a class and it, it does two things for me firstly it acknowledges and makes them actually think about the people in their lives and and the importance of that but also it makes them vulnerable in front of their students and to be able to do that and then and know that their classmates are going to respect each other because they've all done it. And then there's that that um, dome of, of trust and they, they become a tighter unit because of that. And I see it every time I teach this unit that the, the class becomes tighter and, and a lot more respectful of each other. Yeah, the one-upmanship sort of settles down. People can be exactly. vulnerable. Yeah, and, and the stories mean something. I think the stories also strike um, strike chords in the other students as well. So... You know, a lot of speaking about fathers, about mothers, and they understand that everyone has people in their lives that they that mean something, and they're not just a random kid at school. That you know, they're a person with a background and a story, and the stories are all different. I love it as well. Like indigenous cultures, often referred to as the forgotten culture, it's the it's secondary to the white man. It's been sort of replaced, and this Western idea that celebrates youth and doesn't look at the elderly in a respectful light you know they're, mm. they're, this is a generation that are often hidden away separated from our families and not an in indigenous culture the the elders run the tribe they're celebrated they have the respect because of these traditions and these ceremonies these rituals of gratitude of knowing where you're from and how you're connected to your past it's giving the boys a way to maybe reconnect with with some of them are quite, probably quite disconnected with this generation, mm. probably not living in the same house, alone, the, the mm. same tribal space on the land. Mm. And they, they, maybe they're not seeing them, and, and God forbid if they have some sort of intellectual disease, and they're further removed again. Mm. Um, and they're not perhaps seen as someone that's got something to offer them. And, the, and maybe this, this is just a way of exploring that relationship and celebrating it. That's my, my hope. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting point as well. Um, we we go to the Drama Victoria conference each year, and um, I know last year they they spoke about um, trying to do Indigenous theatre, and there was a unit um, where 
trying to alleviate the fears of non-Indigenous teachers trying to teach Indigenous theatre. Um, and that there's a lot of angst in the community of drama teachers who are, who are too afraid to touch the topic. Yeah, I just want to put a caveat in there, by the way, that I'm sure I've offended anyone that's listening to this probably five or six times. And I think that's why many people don't talk about it. Mm. But I think we should talk about it. I think we should should give ourselves permission to be awkward and mm. maybe grope with the ideas. And I'm aware I've already said some politically correct that's, stuff, that's but exactly I, I mean well, and I'm and I, I think it's, I don't think that's not what that's that doesn't shouldn't stop you from trying to share an amazing culture and learn something. Absolutely, I think I think it's an absolute shame if if someone was to ridicule or or to try and. Um, you know, take take down someone who's who's attempting to do the right thing, and of course, possibly missing the point or or missing what culture is is there, or you know, what why bother trying at all if you're just going to fail? And that that's a terrible mindset to have. And I think this is exactly what the the conference was trying to say last year, is that try it, you know. Um, and this is what we're telling our students: is it not? try and if you fail that's okay because you you understand your boundaries or you've learned something from it and you're only failing if you stop trying and a discussion is sometimes not knowing or what does that mean or finding out let me try this answer oh i missed it well okay i learned from that that's a discussion yeah and then if we have done it wrong or or i mean i i didn't tell you and I, i this is news to you now but there was an indigenous student in that group of um boys that you demonstrated to, I didn't tell you because exactly that, the angst that might be created from knowing something else. But um, I went to, um, went up to him and had a private chat at the beginning of the unit and said, look, we're, we're going to do this unit. And I understand this is part of your culture. Please, by any, any means, you know, um, after class, come and talk to me. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on what you think is, is I'm doing well and what you think you'd like me to include next time I teach it. Think- yeah, and there's your like attempting not to take the mantle of the expert, mm. and then if you, if you don't take that high ground, then, then you know we're all learning together. Yeah, yeah. You can't that was a good topic. That one. Yeah, it's a, yeah, that's an interesting yeah. one. Mm. Yeah, they kicked us on for a bit. It's good. Huh? Kicked us on for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you wade through the mud. <laughs> yeah. Because then yeah. you're suddenly acutely aware that people may or may not be judging you on on opinions that you. would that you're holding. Um, yeah. I, mean, that, I think that's a tricky part of drama teaching today is, you know, the political correctness that comes through. Well, that's why long-form media is, I think, so important because if you're hearing everything in sound bites, oh, bites, all you're going to do is be critical of a comment or something mm. that was written. But if you can, normally if you get to any sort of long-form media, whether it's an, an essay or whether it's a podcast, you, you tend to let people get all their ideas out, which we very rarely do. And then have an informed, balanced, you know, two humans talking, probably reasonably good people that are trying to work out their ideas. And then at the end, you know, you, you, it humanizes the discussion. Mm. And most people are sort of honest because they want to connect with their, you know, their blind sides. And, and, mm. and I think that just gives, it just gives everyone, it allows you to be a bit more compassionate with the, the information that you get. Well, that, that segues nicely into the project that we're both doing um, in the next two terms, which is which is the senior school production. Um, do you want to talk about what the senior school production is um, and a little bit why it's relevant to, to what we were just saying in terms of um, slightly more risk in what we're doing? Yeah, well, there's a whole reasons to choose a school 
play and there's anything from the logistics of making sure you've got that actors to pull it off. Um, the main thing for me is, 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 this, is there a piece of literature that will hold the, the engagement of the students and obviously, you know, engage them physically and give them some interesting parts to act, but hopefully get some interesting discussion out of it as well. And variety is nice as well. So I try and make my shows different from, you know, one from the next. I'll tend to do. I used to flip from Shakespeare to a modern to back to Shakespeare. Um, now I'm more like even the, even the genre or the style. I've gone from horror to comedy to, you know, a drama. I know, you know, we're doing a physical comedy now. Uh, it's got some big big ideas in it. It's a great writer, Voltaire. You know, it's his opus mag, magnum. I think I think is the word. That's his his life's work. It's like in the top one hundred novels of all time. It is a silly adaptation of it, granted by Scott Hunter, but it's still we still get it's still a great window into you know using slapstick and physical comedy into his writing, and essentially it's a satire about you know all all the dangerous institutions that still exist. And I'm not saying that the church is solely dangerous or even the government, but that they I think if you're not um, on your toes and aware of, of people that hold the power and keep them to account, well, you know, you can end up in perhaps a situation where we're at right now. You know, where a lot of people that have uh, disengaged, dissatisfied, um, you know, sucked into the politics of fear. You know, whether you're Republican or a de- Democrat, looking at over in America. Um, People even say the feel on the streets different. Even like people that that travel there or come back, there's mm. a lot of dissatisfaction and a lot of people that are angry on both sides. So, sort of, where does this come from? Come we learn for? I think Voltaire's a great vehicle to explore that. And they say that Australia is always about ten years off American culture anyway. So, and that's probably as in ten years behind. Or? Ten years behind. So, where, 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 wherever they are, because of the media that we consume. Mm that is American and, the, and, and even our polit- political patterns and rhythms follow America. But, I mean, that's interesting in itself. So we can either, you know, we can read the play or not. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about, you know, the 10 years behind, I think that, that gap surely has to be getting shorter and shorter with, with the new age of, of technology and connection. Yeah, you're right. It's probably... America. As soon as it comes out in America, we've got it here. 10-year-old facts. Yeah. <laughs> We've got podcasts yeah. and things like that. You, you, you're yeah. probably right. It's probably, you know, things get released worldwide in mm. a second. Yeah, you're probably right. That gap's narrowed. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So I've, I've, a lot of my really good friends all live in different corners of the world, but, it, you know. Thank I, you. Thank you for saving me white generation stuff yeah. from that old argument. Keep keep in contact with them and it's like, you know, they, they could be around the corner. We can have a beer together via a Skype conversation and... The only difference is that they're not physically in the room with you, but even, you know, you could argue against that, that they are really in the room, they can see what you're doing. Um, yeah, it's it's becoming a very small world. I can see blending culture happening um, all over the place. Yeah, and you have this globalization and you have like the Brexit that affects, you know, then what happens in the American elections and look what's happening in France and you see the conservative blowback and the, extremist movements all around the world that it's things can you know like a snowball they can exponentially there's the speed in which information is communicated globally is is amazing yeah there's still a lot of stagnation there's still a lot of immobilization um people not doing anything ignoring 
climate change, things like that. Mm. So, you know, that's, we're about to start a, a play and we normally start off with a lot of text analysis and we want to make sure that we get our ideas right and that the, the kids have given informed production um, and, and do a really high, high quality performance with a, with a thoughtful interpretation of this work as silly as it is and as Chris Bantic you know my mentor in our first production meeting said the other day that you've got to take this comedy really seriously to get it right mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. it's so hard to get right you know why is comedy so hard to get right that's interesting in itself well who else has the feedback in the room that immediate feedback of like my whole art form doesn't work if you don't respond in the right way it doesn't happen with drama where people sit there quietly until the end mm-hmm. it's like you can you live or die second by second in comedy mm. And you're dead. So, you know, they're, it's so much harder than any other prepare art prepare something that you think might be really funny. I know other plays that we thought, oh, you know, that's going to get great laughs, met with a dead audience and, and completely mundane and, and innocuous lines that have been looked over the whole process suddenly have the, the crowd in, in applause and, and laughter. And, and, you know, without, without predicting that that would be the funny moment. Yeah. Good. Yeah, all bets are off. So the comedian has to be a flexible improviser and read the room, and sometimes work harder. And how how do you how do you train an actor to be able to pick up on an audience reaction? Um, so that- well, that's where the seriousness comes in. I think the seriousness is watching because all you can control is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you've ever played golf, that you know that. I mean, you can you can try every every intellectual or, or psychological trick that you want, but mm-hmm. if your club doesn't hit that ball in the right spot well it's going exactly where you hit it in reality and you can do do all the overthinking that you want so what can you actually control you can control a swing hitting a ball and that's it mm-hmm. and the drama that we make up over it well for goodness sake mm-hmm. surprised what any of us play golf at all but it's, acting's a bit like that it's about sort of acting in a focused way what have you got control of you've, you've really got control of your body because most people walking around in real life don't yeah. have no idea how they if you've got something on your mind I don't know how I got from out of my bed teaching period one it's an interesting point you make about um knowing your body is that at one of my audiobooks i'm and i'm looking at body language a lot at the moment to help me with my directing and i'm just really intrigued and, and interested in body language um and they they set up all these experiments where they have someone walk into like a hotel lobby and and through a narrow corridor at the end of the corridor they have a mirror and then mask it with with foliage and leaves and things so that as someone walks in they don't know it's a mirror it looks like an extended corridor and they see someone from the shoulders down but they can't see the head so that as they walk in they they see the other person i.e that themselves in the mirror and then go to the front desk and at front desk they're questioned about the person who walked in yeah and it's a i can't remember the statistics so i'm not going to give you the numbers but it was alarmingly high that people didn't even recognize themselves uh, and I can give you a quote in, in the book that I was reading. It said, um, one of the guys even said, oh, you mean the ugly fat guy? Uh, and he was looking, he was talking about himself <laughs> in the mirror. So yeah, understanding your body. Uh, yeah, well, we see with our mind and we see with our emotions and I can unpack that statement for you. It's probably, but it's, um, it's, it's really true. It's, yeah. um, it's, you know, you, we're emotional beings and if we're not control of our emotions, we have no idea what our bodies are doing. They're just reacting. We just get into sort of habits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like to listen to a lot of spiritual um, podcasts as well. That's mm-hmm. another cliche of me being a drama teacher, I suppose. 
but I like it not because of the religious ideas. I'm not that interested in gods or various gods or believing in, in stuff that can't be proven or anything now. What I like about spiritualism, I know I'm wading into dangerous territory here, okay. is the connection with the planet and each other. It's about as simple as that. And I think spiritualism, what it has in common, if you throw out all the woohoo, is it is about anchoring yourself, making sure that you have authentic relationships and that you're in some way connected to the to the planet. And there's a whole bunch of like wonderful imaginative ideas in each version of spiritualism or how that manifests in religion. But that's the most, most important thing. And I like to make connections with things. So in terms of an actor as well. So, well, if you're not connected with the with your environment and each other, well, you, you, not, you, you know, spiritualism, being happy with your life and, and trying to leave the world a bit better than you saw it and trying to be a bit more loving mm-hmm. and a bit less pessimistic and hateful. Mm-hmm. That's spiritualism to me. And well, acting as well, you, you want to enjoy what you do, but you can't control a performance or tell a good story if you're not aware of your environment or you're not connected to the person there right in front of you. So that's that's where psychology comes in, and if you look at you know all the, the various forms of method acting and some of the great theatre practitioners that I look at, they touch on there's these universal ideas, and and ind- independently they get pigeonholed into areas some more reputable than others. Um, but yeah, I, I like to look at learning more holistically, and I like strange weird and wonderful people i'm sort of drawn to them a bit because they're theatrical aren't they yeah Yeah. Yeah. strange weird and wonderful keeps you interested on your toes totally yeah so um you know flat flat and boring just doesn't doesn't no completely and often these 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 fringy people are often attacked in the community because they're different Mm. you know i often find some of my friends in these various circles that i hang around with at the school because there's a big staff and there's thousand plus kids and when the weirdo comes in, everyone's like, that guy's weird. <laughs> he needs to be attacked and purged because there's something in him that if, if I get to, I'll be hated. I'll be outcast as well. Mm. And I just, I'm like, that's the total opposite. That's, a, that's an amazing, unique manifestation of a human being that needs to be celebrated. They're unique. They're, they're moving towards something that's maybe true about them. Maybe they haven't got it right yet, but they're moving towards a, a light, some sort of artistic, creative thing. Mm. Let them go. Let mm. them exist. So I can exist in my weird and wonderful way. And don't attack that. Mm. Let, let's see how far this experiment can go. Yeah. Um, now, uh, it, you probably hear by the background that our studio has been infiltrated by, by the students we're talking about. Um, so we're, we're going to have to wrap it up there. But, um, I, you know, we haven't spoken about this. I'd love to follow up and see maybe towards the end of this term maybe an update on on candide and how that's going and you know sort of anything we've learned new since this this podcast we've recorded um be interesting to follow up and see you know what new ideas we've got yeah there'll definitely be new ideas <laughs> it could be better or worse too the new will be guaranteed yeah that'd be cool well you can hear you can hear the music now the, the house singing is uh is now going to take over so uh it's a good time to wrap it up but that's the way it's going to be mark laura is head of uh Head of Drama at Trinity Grammar. And uh, thank you very much for having a chat with me. Thank you, Stuart. Lucy. You're welcome.